You know there's a way for nurses to start a business, but there's so many moving pieces. Cut through the crap. It's time to go right to the source and get real about what's working in business and marketing for nurses with your host, the founder of Nursepreneurs, Katie Harris. Hi, this is Katie Harris, and this is an episode of the Nursepreneurs Podcast. Today, we have Dr. Peggy Gleason on with us, who is a certified integrated health coach, and she runs Professional Women's Wellness. Peggy, thank you so much for being here with us today. Well, thank you. I'm honored to be on your podcast. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you because you have like such a a broad experience. Um, So why don't you start out by giving us a little background about you as a nurse? How did you get started and how did it lead to what you're doing now? Well, I will tell you how I became a nurse. It seemed to be rather organic because I grew up in a family that had a lot of illness. I had um, I had a brother with Downs, but my aunt and uncle both had multiple sclerosis, another uncle with heart disease and two different grandparents with dementia. So my parents were running like crazy, taking care of everybody all the time. Uh, There were like nine of us in a very tiny, small house my father built. So just being around my parents, always taking care of people, it was almost organic that I all of a sudden went down this path later on in life. I thought I was going to be an artist. That was, I was a fine artist person. And that's what I really wanted to do. But then all of a sudden, I just got this desire because maybe I was so used to taking care of people already and might as well get paid for it. (laughs) I know I really had passion, seriously. I had a tremendous amount of passion for taking care of people. So um, I I did start nursing many years ago and my passion was always critical care. That was, that's where I thrived the most. Awesome. So I would say as a nurse, you are an artist <laughs> in a different way, but you're definitely creating like amazing things for people. Uh, so you were, how long were you in critical care for? Uh, over 30 years in the high level critical care. Um, I've been in, might even be longer than that. I am celebrating 48 years of nursing right now. Wow, that is awesome. So, so I have a, I've worn a lot of hats during that time. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, a lot of nurses uh, I've heard don't even make it out of their first year. So 48 years is amazing. <laughs> um, so you went from, so are you still working in critical care now or is that something that- No, okay. no, that I, that I let go of quite a while back. Uh, because, you know, then I had leadership positions running big critical care units in New York. And um, then when I decided it was time to make a transition, I went into case management. So I've kind of lived in the case management world for, uh, I would say at least, I was in leadership then case management, I would say about 13 years that I got into case management and, you know, of course got certified there. And um, that's, that was where I ended up. Um, But no, I'm not working in critical care anymore, but, and I'm, I'm, I think that's why I feel so bad because today I still have friends in critical care and I'm like, oh my God, I want to help you, but I I can't, you know, because they're burning out so bad, but it was a blessing and a curse at the same time, you know, yeah, yeah, there is that uh, residual guilt. I felt guilt uh, when I left the hospital a couple of years ago, um, and it felt like 
you know, because there's that stigma that you're not a nurse if you're not at the bedside. And I think that's full crap, <laughs> you know, I'm looking that's at TV, right. but, that's right. you know, it's ridiculous. But um, anyway, so, well, where did this idea for professional women's wellness come from? Uh, was that part of your critical care experience or where did that emerge um, from? Where did that come from? I'm glad you asked that. Uh, when I was, during my years in, um, in bedside working, I realized I was burning the candle at both ends. Um, and when I say burning the candle, I was really burning the candle between, for part of the time I was a single mom, I had my aging parents, I was taking care of all the, of course, you know, women take care of everything in the house and the shopping, the cleaning and the, all that stuff. Um, I was also um, running a big critical care unit and um, I was also going to school for my doctorate degree. So you can imagine how ridiculous this sounds. Uh, when, I, when I look back, I go, what were you crazy? You know, what was wrong with you? But um, honestly, it was, uh, I didn't even realize that I was suffering burnout from burnout. And um, it was only when I realized that, um, you know, having suffered severe, severe crippling migraines every day, uh, and I never missed a day of work, I will add. Um, it dawned on me that it was not normal to have a standing appointment with a neurologist, right? <laughs> it's like, what? You're going again? But that was just, it had to be managed. And um, then I realized, okay, what's going on here? You know, there's some, this is not normal. You have got to get it together and figure out what's going on. And I realized uh, that I wasn't aware of, you know, I was, overdo I was overdoing it because I thought I could. I thought I could do everything, right? That's the proverbial belief all nurses have. Oh, we can do it. You know, give me another patient, you know? So um, I then started studying natural health. Uh, once I started studying natural health and realizing all the, the, I mean, just the plethora of things we could do to take care of ourselves. And it went from Ayurvedic medicine to Chinese medicine to, um, Eastern medicine, and I, I studied all of the modalities and started implementing them and realizing that um, I really wanted to do something. And it wasn't to put a shingle out as a doctor, that was not my intent, but I wanted to help people. So I decided to go to Duke Integrative Medicine to get a certification for integrative health coach. And uh, of course, because I'm an education junkie, I went for another one, uh, like two more certifications after that for coaching, because, you know, you know we're just you never have enough. <laughs> oh, never. You know, oh, another class. Sure. Sign me up. So um, so that was where I started realizing, um, you know, women are they, they are struggling and now they're struggling more than ever between burnout and the increasing stress. And it has spilled over into every single part of their lives from physical to emotional and every other area. And I think that's the thing that got me is um, people don't realize it's not just physical, it's not just emotional. It is impacting every single area of your life and your, the joy in your life. So that's when I started originally working with women in the sandwich generation, the ones that were doing what I was doing, juggling aging parents, kids, you know, and everything else. And then it, that was where professional women came in. And then um, 
later on, I, I just decided to focus on healthcare professionals strictly. Okay, so, you know, I, I do want to say, like, I, I absolutely identify with burning the candle at, you know, as many ends as it has, <laughs> you know, I feel like it's got like divots in there that there's more, because you know, the same thing, I was a single mom, I couldn't have enough jobs, like if there was an hour free in my day, I wanted a job to fill it. And, you know, over time, it was just like, I got more and more irritable, like I'd walk into the hospital and be irritable and angry and, you know, just miserable, just flat out miserable, but I didn't really recognize it as burnout until like years later. So, I mean, how do you like get these people to recognize burnout as it's happening or to prevent it? I think I, I think that's part of uh, what's important to me is helping them to, to recognize it by just looking at, let's look at every, di every dimension of your wellness. And that's how I start is we're going to take the eight areas of wellness, the 12 dimensions of life. We're going to look at all of that. We're going to see where you are and you're going to see for yourself that you are in serious need of some help for burnout because generally um, my clients will realize oh my gosh I didn't realize uh, you know I wondered why I gained 30 pounds in the last two years oh yeah that's right I was a little stressed you know because all of a sudden they're realizing oh I'm not doing that great in that one area how's your social how's your social wellness you know do you go out and have fun with your friends what are you kidding I don't have time for that right so you know if you look at all these different areas it's amazing how much we uncover to to you know show people this is what's going on with you and you may not have symptoms yet or maybe you do and you don't realize it but it's important to just just nip it in the bud because it will get way worse if you don't. Yeah, and you know, I feel like there's that expectation, um, and I don't know where it comes from, but like that you can kind of do it all. Uh, it, and I've talked to hundreds of nurses just through our program, and all of them have like two, three jobs, and you know, they're 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 doing multiple things. They're going to graduate school because that seems to be expected and uh, you know, getting all these certifications and go, always going after the next thing, but never really kind of mastering one thing. Um, so it, I'm wondering like, if you have any thoughts on where this pressure comes from or our need to, I, I don't even know what it is, <laughs> you know, to excel or prove something. Uh, I think there are many nurses that are overachievers. Again, the belief that we can do it all and what's the phrase? You can do anything, but you can't do everything. And I think that's a really important, uh, it should be a logo on every, every place a nurse looks just to remind them. Um, I think the belief that they can do, I, I just think that's part of being a nurse. You just think you can um, until you find out you can't. And unfortunately, I do think also, um, nurses, women in the healthcare profession, um, we have high, high expectations of ourselves. And we don't take less than that generally. You know, I mean, look at the type of jobs we do. My goodness gracious. If a lay person ever could imagine the how hard our intellect, our physical body, our emotional, mental, everything is on high gear when we're at work. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. 
So we're just used to it. We're used to that high of doing, doing, doing. I think it's also the endorphins we get too. You know, right. give me the give me the sickest patient. I can do it. You know, I mean, I would take. You know, how many lines? No, nine isn't enough. Give me that other one. That one has too much. Has another couple of machines. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I, um, I mean, I, I do have to say, I was an adrenaline junkie. You know, oh, working during critical care, like wherever the action was, that's where I wanted to be. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, I compounded the issue by not taking time off. And I, you know, I, I kind of blame hospitals in a way for this, that, you know, they'll, they encourage you to pick up overtime and extra shifts and stay longer and do this. And there's, there's not really the regard, and I don't mean to generalize, but for the fact that maybe you haven't gone home. Like I used to go from hospital to hospital, like working six, seven days a week. And, you know, nobody's regulating that. And I'm not suggesting that people should regulate that other than the nurse themselves, but it's, it's certainly not discouraged it's if anything it's encouraged um and even more so now because of the shortage right? right and what is also i'm hearing from a lot of my clients that are nurses is that they don't feel respected like when it's you you have we need you you have to you have to stay i have to stay another four or five hours oh my goodness sometimes a double um but it it's they feel they're not respected for their personal needs, that it's not even on the table when it comes to demands that they have to adhere to. So that's part of it. And part of it on the leadership side is also difficult because they're burning out too. And I think part of what uh, a lot of the, especially younger staff, I think, if they haven't experienced being in a leadership position, they have no idea the pressure that hospital administration can put on nursing leadership because they need stuff done. This is dollars and cents. They need the staff. They have to do it. Um, so it's, it's sort of, uh, it's a real domino effect, so to speak. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And, and especially for leadership, I mean, I, I couldn't even really find statistics for nurse manager turnover. And I know it's huge, you know, because there seems to be a new nurse, but it seems like they get so much pressure from both sides, but they're not empowered to do anything about anything. So it's kind of like, come in here, make everybody happy, but um, you can't have anything <laughs> to help you. You can't even get like leadership, um, like training. <laughs> like that's not even on the table either, which is where I think that's part respect, right? Like the hospital doesn't seem to, the administration doesn't seem to respect the role enough to say this person needs to be groomed into this position. Uh, and it absolutely causes burnout. Um, so what are some of the, the signs and symptoms that you've seen of nurse burnout? Uh, you know, I had mentioned irritability and, and you had mentioned your story, but is there other manifestations? Oh, there, there are many different, uh, you know, manifest differently in everyone. I hear a lot and I know insomnia is number one. Uh, it's not number one, but it's one of the top um, issues. Either you're, you can't sleep because you're so anxious about the next day. What am I going to go into the next day? Or you wake up at three o'clock and go, well, I have to get up in two hours anyway. I might as well just get up, right? Um, uh, that's part of it. GI issues, um, headaches, of course. Um, I think compassion fatigue is a very big part of burnout where, um, and compassion fatigue is a little different from 
all out burnout. It's a big part of it because that's when, um, you know, we care so much. We want to fix people so badly. We're passionate, right? But when you're that burned out, you somehow retreat from that. You're so almost, almost becoming indifferent. Like I, I have nothing left to give. I, I, whatever, you know, that, that whole, you just, you have nothing else. You are totally tapped out. And I think that's a very big part of the, the reality today that people who have worked in COVID, uh, during COVID, which was, has been so horrific. I, I mean, it just brings me to my knees thinking about what they've gone through. Um, but all the first responders and people that had to deal directly, um, they were seeing so much death. They had never seen that many people die in a day. I have a friend that worked in critical care. Uh, she was in the trauma center, big trauma center in New York. And they transitioned the trauma center to the vented COVID unit. And she would, I would check on her every day. I was so worried about her. I said, oh my gosh, you know, you got to be careful. And, and she was working more shifts than I had ever heard of in a week um, and really long hours. And uh, she would sometimes say, oh, we lost four today or we lost seven today. And it was, it was part of the day. Yeah, where we needed that bed. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and, you know, we didn't have any room, so we had to put them over here. But, you know, it was, it was that, um, it was just a terribly shocking thing to hear, not indifference, but it was just the way it is. What a terrible way to think, right? It's just the way it is. Right, right. Or just kind of like transactional in a way, like this happened. So we went and, I'll, you know, followed up with the next person, like, you know, you broke a toy and then you just kind of brushed it to the side or something. Well, I think too, because when you're running at that speed, you almost don't have time to give yourself to breathe. And I think that's another piece of burnout. You know, you have no time to even not only um, grieve for yourself and all your losses, but you don't even have time to grieve for a patient because it's just overwhelming. You're just running, running, running. So how do how do people come to and do you just work with nurses or healthcare providers? Like, but how do they come to you? Like, or when? At what point in this trajectory do they come to you? Well, it depends because a lot of times um, they'll just find me and I'll have an interview and I'll find out what's going on. Some people will just go, "Oh my God, you do burnout! I could really use some help." And of course, then I will have a a, a quick you know, free consultation and just see where they are and what I can do for them. I am more than happy to spend that time. Um, and if it means a workshop, I have lots, I do have workshops, I have courses, I have individual and group coaching. Um, I think it's just the visibility that there is somebody out there that cares and can help because of experiential um, background suffering from burnout and also understanding how to get over it. So it's more of that. But as far as when do they come, I think nurses are slow to, they're slow, they're slow to come along and uh, get help because I think in general, nurses believe I know what to do. Nobody needs to tell me what to do. Right. Um, and I think that's where the limiting belief is. 
I know for me, I was, like I said, I thought I could do anything. I didn't think I needed help. You know? <laughs> um, so I think that's probably the biggest hiccup and why I am talking on podcasts and getting out there at summits, because I really want people to know there is somebody here. There's somebody here who really cares and will do whatever they can do to help you get through whatever it is you need to get through to get your life back to get the energy, to get the joy in your life, to get your health back. Right. And how long does something like that take? So from the point where the nurse recognizes maybe comes to you, like how long does it take to recover from burnout? And what does that process look like? Well, if you're not going to get help, it's going to take, I've read, I've read statistics of 11 years, which is horrifying. But I think if you're getting somebody to work with you, really help you we you know you can see a you can see a shift in a year you know uh you know like 11 months rather than 11 years um i usually with my uh, i don't think i've ever worked with anyone less than six months because you get nothing done in the very beginning it takes a long time to develop some changes and sometimes people do have to change their job maybe that's what they're going to find out they need to do or maybe they have to change their lifestyle in the way but with any kind of uh coaching you do want to get at least six months in and then go from there and uh, re re um reassess um and some some people do it do it pretty quickly and some are long haulers so to speak so I, you know, I just had this thought about like nurses who think I know what to do, I'm just not gonna do it. And the idea that if they come to you, you might tell them something they don't wanna hear, like this lifestyle is causing <laughs> your, your problems and you'd have to make a change. Do you think there's some resistance there that they're just uh, afraid of what they need to do to move forward to recover? Um, I would say there probably are. But if they're coming to me, I think it's because they're really ready and they're so burnt out, they need help. Uh, so uh, yeah, there may be some that say, I just, I don't wanna, I don't wanna change. I wanna continue eating the way I wanna eat. And well, that's, I don't tell them to make the change. They have to want to make the change. So I meet them where they are. If this is not the, the avenue if, okay, why is that path not okay for you? Can you give me some ideas on what other path you would like to take? Because maybe we can go a different way that works better for you. Everybody is different. And sometimes we have to go a different direction. So we just go kind of step by step. Okay. And what would be that kind of first step in recovery? The first step is, um, first of all, assessment and acknowledgement that there is something going on and yes, they do need some help. And um, like I say, the first thing is to assess and acknowledge uh, what's going on um, and that you do, <laughs> it's like admitting you need help. Um, and um, I know one of the first things we work on or I do particularly is finding time because nobody has time for themselves, right? <laughs> Who has time? And that's the one thing that I found over the years that I had to really focus on first is, okay, I know you don't have time. You're running around like a chicken, you're going crazy and uh, yeah, but do you have five minutes? If, if you have five minutes, we're gonna start with the five minutes and go from there. And it's it's basically looking at, 
uh, time management in a different way. I do a lot of time management with uh, people that are overwhelmed because generally they don't have the ability to say no. They, they just do not know how, they, how to say no without feeling guilty or worrying about what other people think. Um, they also don't realize where some of their time is going. Um, they also tend to multitask, which they learn after being with me for a little while that it's not as effective as focusing on one thing at a time. That's um, so true. So I know that from experience. I had like popcorn brain at one point where I was like, I had so many thoughts going in different directions and I myself was multitasking and doing a million things. And I realized, you know, that was part of the issue too. So I, I do a lot of not only coaching, but teaching as well. And with coaching, you do get a lot of teaching too. You, you learn different things during the process. Um, and that's why I have courses as well. Uh, that I will group coach with. I'll, I'll put a course out there and say, okay, this is a course I recommend. And if you'd like to have group coaching on top of it, we'll go through a lesson each week and we will coach on that each week. So that's another whole thing that I uh, promote as well. I have a, um, a really cool um, eight steps to wellness online retreat. And that is actually one of my favorites because it's just a, a really like it's almost more fun because people will get the they'll get the lessons each week and it will talk about each area of wellness one by one. And um, that it's a it's a beautiful program. And then once a week we meet and you know see where everybody is with that. And then there's there's other group coaching opportunities as well. Yeah, I love that because, you know, even like what you said, finding time it, and certainly nobody has time and I never had time working as a nurse, um, you know, was, was always on call or in the hospital uh, constantly. But one of the things that I found ironically when I started my business, because, you know, on top of everything else I was doing, I thought, well, let me just start a business because I can do that too, right? Um, but the business is what taught me that uh, some of the most effective things that I have come up with is when I took time to do nothing. And that was something that was like hammered into me from my coaches that I hired. They're like, you need to schedule like two hours a day where you do nothing, like do nothing. I can't do nothing. I gotta, you know, it, and it's like, okay, well, you're gonna go nowhere because if you can't do nothing, then nothing is gonna happen because as they say, action negates, or no, um, yeah, action negates thinking, right? And as the business owner, you need to think um, and you can't think if you're constantly doing things. And I think that's a big, big problem. And we find that with our nurses now, like, a, you know, it's kind of one of the things that I try and encourage them to do nothing, but it's like, it goes against our grain. Um, it, it's so ingrained in us to like constantly do something. Uh, like in any other addiction, you yeah. stop it and you do not like the way it feels. It right. doesn't matter what the addiction is. And for nurses, it's go, go, go. Yes. And it does not feel right. I, I still... Honestly, I do still struggle a little bit with, I always have my me time, but I still struggle if there's a hole in my schedule. It's like, okay, maybe I can do this or this or this, right? Um, but I do, I do, I will say, I do have me time every single morning. I mm -hmm. start my day that way so that I know I've set my day up. 
Right. If I wait till later, you know, I'll fill the hole with something else. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's there pretty much. It's that old addiction that even after you manage it well, and I, I feel like I've managed it very well, um, that sometimes it's, it's, it's a familiar place. So it's easy to kind of gravitate towards, uh, let me do something else. Let me, so I, I understand that, that inability for people that have never spent time by themselves with nothing to do. It's real, really a challenge. Yeah, yeah, but it's like the most productive time that you'll, you'll have. Um, and that, that's honestly, it's the only way I got my dissertation done because I remember like I was working, working, working and like you did, I'm like, oh, let me just do a doctoral degree on the side and, you know, did that, but I couldn't get anywhere. I did, it took me six years because I couldn't get like my proposal out because I could never sit down and think about what it was. And finally, I've just like, I took off like six weeks and went to some random city and I just, you know, spent that time by myself. And wouldn't you know, like the whole thing got done in that time frame because I didn't have anything to do. Um, and I, I think that's vital for no matter what you want to get done. Um, and we don't really appreciate doing nothing. And actually society really kind of um, frowns on it. <laughs> you know, you're lazy, you're, you're good for nothing, doing nothing. Those negative little voices that come to haunt us, right? Yeah, absolutely. So our, our little saboteurs that are sitting on our shoulders, just ready to leap if we, <laughs> if we do anything for ourselves. Uh, but no, that's, um, I'm glad you shared that. That was very interesting about just going away, leaving your environment to go somewhere to just be and right. to get what you needed to get done. And I'll say that was before my, before I was a single mom, like I couldn't just do that now, but you know, like having a community around you is, is very, very important. <laughs> it is, it is. So, all right, Peggy, this was absolutely amazing. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit more about, um, you know, what professional women's wellness is and how people can find it? Well, I, I have sent, I, I think on that document, I do have a little link and it's a little video. It's only 55 seconds and it will have a link to contact me for free consultation. So that's, that's one way. My email, certainly you can share that. Um, I will be having upcoming workshops which is part of that link that I just mentioned, that little video. It's, it's as an invitation to attend a free webinar uh, or workshop. Um, also, I do have a nice little gift for any of your viewer, listeners, and it's called the Passport to Wellness. And this is a wonderful tool. And actually it, it's the precursor to the eight weeks to wellness retreat. But this is just a free thing. It's a great tool to assess yourself and it will assess every one of the eight areas of wellness so that you can see for yourself, where do you stand? What is going on? And I would recommend everybody take a peek at this little, um, this document, take time, find a, I call sacred place, like no dogs barking, no kids, nothing, no one near you, um, to just answer those questions, you know, just 
close the door, go in a closet, do whatever you have to do, sit in the bathtub. I don't know, whatever works. I know you have to hide when you're a nurse. <laughs> the bathroom's the safest place, you know. Yeah, you that's don't a, that's a, well, maybe it's the safest place if you don't have little kids opening the door all the time, right? But uh, just take your time and really answer the questions because those questions are going to open the doors for you to know where you are. And uh, like I say, always available to set up an appointment with me. I will give you the Calendly link. I don't know if I gave you that. I can give you that as well. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. Awesome. Um, all right, Peggy, well, this has been really great speaking with you and thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. I appreciate not only the honor of being on your podcast, but I really appreciate what you're doing for all the nurses out there. I think it is so critical that uh, they listen to your podcast and hear what's possible for people, right? What's possible? Yeah. Thank you.